Why come to Mass? Can I worship God at home or in nature? I mean, Sunday Mass, it's just the same old thing every single week. Isn't this just the Catholic Church piling on more and more rules? Sunday obligation. You have to come. Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you, and enjoy. Hello, parishioners of St. Basil the Great. This is Tommy Dome, parish staff member. So happy to be here with our parish administrator, Father Ryan Mann. Good to see you, Tommy. Glad to be here with all of you. Yeah, yeah. So the question is, why come to Mass? Or why do I have to go to Mass? And you and I, we're going to answer that. But we're going to look at it from a couple different perspectives, human perspectives, really. We're going to look at it objectively and subjectively. We're going to take a look at it from the head, but also from the heart, from the personal experience. Because every one of us has both of those parts. I think I just want to start with this is, I think the question's changed a lot. I've only been a priest. I just uh, finished my seventh year. So I'm just in my eighth year now of priesthood. And between my time in the seminary, which is nine years, and now a priest... Right? We're looking at close to two decades of ministry in my life. And I think the initial question I used to hear a lot was, I don't get anything out of Mass. Why do I go? Or like, why should I go? Because I don't get anything out of it. It's like boring to me. But I think over the last like maybe seven, eight years, it's been a growing frequency of not, oh, I don't get anything. It's just like, no, I just, I just kind of go whenever. Maybe once in a while I'll go. It's no big deal. You know, of all the things, like I'm a good person. So whatever. So there's almost just as like a, more radicalization of the question, which is what happens in that building on a Sunday morning that doesn't happen anywhere else by which you're claiming I have to be there? What's going on? Uh, And I think that to me is like a really beautiful question. So if you're listening and you might be nervous to have asked that, or you have friends or kids or grandkids or parents who ask that, I just want you to first know it's a really good question. And maybe some of the problem is we weren't asking it enough, and therefore we weren't forced to answer it, and therefore you just got to do it. Well, that's not good. (laughs) That's not a great answer. And so hopefully in this time together, you and I, Tommy, we can provide something. The prayer is that the Holy Spirit would take one thing we've said, or maybe a few things, and touch your heart, or remind you someone who needs to hear this, and between that, God can gather us all back together so that he can breathe into us his life and feed us with Jesus. And there's a lot of reasons. There are a lot of reasons to possibly show up on a Saturday evening or a Sunday morning. It could be you come because of the Sunday obligation. And there's definitely good in that. You know, that brings to mind the third commandment. Keep holy the Sabbath, or now we have, you know, keep holy the Lord's day. Or you go because your parents made you. There's some good in there, too. That's sure. that's the fourth commandment comes up. Maybe you come for the donuts afterwards. Sprinkles. And think that... <laughs> The line starts in the church, and then you (laughs) go over the parking lot. Or you go to Mass because you're looking for hope, or you're during a time of struggle right now in your life, or maybe you're going because you already know God, and you love God, and you want to worship that God. One of the things I want to do is sort of flip it and look at what's God's reason. There's a reason from God's perspective why we're at Mass, and... That's because the greatest story ever told is true. God is real. And God made the whole universe so you would have a place to live. And you weren't an accident. You were the reason 
And he loves you so much that he sacrificed himself to open up the gates of heaven where he's saving a place with your name on it. You go to Mass because Jesus Christ, the God who became human, started a visible church built on this very flawed guy, Peter, and the apostles. And that church still exists today, believe it or not. And it's the surest path back to him. And you're a part of this church. You're a part of this family. And you go to Mass because Jesus said, do this in memory of me. And you listen. And God's been waiting for this coming Sunday from all eternity. And he knew you were going to be there. And from all eternity, he saw Sunday and saw you sitting in the pew, and it makes him smile, and he cannot wait to meet you for the first time or the thousandth time. So we're going to get into a lot of other answers of why I go to Mass, but just that real zoomed-out view is its like, it's all true. Yeah, as you're saying it, Tommy, I'm thinking about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They didn't have to go to a Mass, right? Because... The world was perfect. Everything was participating in God's plan in the Garden of Eden. Like the way they smelled a flower or saw a bird or touched a river or held hands, all of it moved them to utter praise of God because everything they experienced, they really did participate in as gift from God and it led them back to God. With original sin, there's been a compromising of this. And now our vision is darkened. Our abilities to choose correctly is broken. And our hearts are so broken. And now not everything we experience says, oh, this is from God. And clearly there's some things that are evil, not from God. And now God in his wisdom speaks to Israel. And he forms Israel, right? And he forms them to have rituals and a way of gathering together. And whenever they gathered together, there was an offering. And all of it always represented all of creation. The rain came down on the soil and the sun worked, as we know now, photosynthesis, but the sun worked to nourish everything and things grew and fed the animals. And so when they offered animals, they were offering all of creation, all of the movements of the creator to this animal and bringing that animal, which could have been for themselves, they said, we're going to give it to God first. Mm -hmm. And so God began with Israel. And then, of course, he comes in with Jesus and now there's grace. There's even now grace to transform us. Jesus is now the new animal, right? The Lamb of God who sacrificed. And we gather. So all of creation, it's just like Adam and Eve was, that all of creation is gathered at the Mass with us as the high point of creation, as sons and daughters, gathered around Jesus. And so like even the stars are participating in what we're doing. We're taking all of creation saying, Lord, you are beautiful and so it's cosmic. It's big. It's huge. It's a lot more than like a five-year-old boy saying like, do I have to put the clip on tie on this week so I can get to church? <laughs> it's like you are a part of something epic. And like you said, it's this epic story that God's been writing so that he could heal us, transform us, and get us to participate, not just in the stars, but literally in his own divine life. And it's epic. And that's why some of the biggest cathedrals in the world have stars on the ceiling. Or like it looks like columns are trees. It's because they knew all of creation was participating in what God was doing on that altar with us. And so that's the big view. But obviously, there's so many more things that can help us find motivation and find reasons for going. But I just want to zoom back for a second and just say, do you realize like the ring around Saturn somehow has to do with us? Because the creator made that created you. And he wanted to call you by name. He didn't call the rings around Saturn by name. 
And all of it is a part of the creator's plan that we could be with him forever. And so it's beautiful. Yeah, mass is never celebrated locally, privately. Right. It's always public, even if it's quote unquote private, right? right? Yeah. The liturgy is always a public act because it's part of this huge, huge story that goes back to the universe. Yeah, it's it's not a, a little thing we do in our little corner of the town, but it's part of a much, much bigger story. So, Tommy, let, let me let me flip it on you for a second. Let me ask you a question. Someone comes up to you and just says, Tommy Dome, I know you're Catholic. I know you participate in your parish lot. Why do you go to Mass? What's the, what's the reason you would give? Like, cereal aisle at the grocery store conversation, carts bump into each other and says, hey, you know, this is on my mind this morning. I was wondering, why do you go to Mass? What do you say? Probably as concisely as I could put it would be, I go to Mass to meet God, and God loves me, and that's where I let him love me in a special way, and I love him back in a special way. That's and awesome. it's a special way that, that he wants. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's one of the big reasons for me is this is the way he wants to be worshipped. I think of the image of a kid when it's their birthday, and when a kid has a birthday... They get to choose what they have for dinner. There's just no question. Even if they pick the worst fast food restaurant, it's like, okay, we'll do it because it's your birthday. Sunday is the Lord's Day every week. And so he should be able, because he's the Almighty Lord, he should be able to ask and get what he wants in a small way. Mm -hmm. And he does because it's one hour a week out of 168. And he says, "It's it's for your own good that you come meet me in this way and do these kind of things. And luckily, at most parishes, you have different times to pick from, (laughs) you know? Yeah. That's how good he is to us. That's great. But let's turn around the assumption of the question and not ask, why do we have to go to Mass? But really, why do we get to go to Mass? I mean, I would say the the gift of the Mass, let me use an analogy. So if anyone listening has ever been to Severance Hall or like an orchestra concert, one of the things that happens right before the orchestra plays is, the first chair violinist, who is the preeminent chair in the whole orchestra, like plays one note on the violin. And all the violins and violas, and everyone, they kind of tune their instruments to that violin so that they can then all play in harmony. The gift of the Mass is the attunement to the note of God, if you will. That at the Mass, we are, if you notice, we're not sitting like in a booth at a restaurant facing each other. You know, we're not contemplating each other when we go there. The, the goal isn't dialogue among your family in the pews, nor me and the deacon or the altar servers. We're not facing each other to have a meaningful conversation among us. It's usually oriented where? Towards the sanctuary. So right away, you're tuning in to something other than yourselves. And then coming forth from the sanctuary are clips from God's story, what he's been doing with humanity. It's called the love letters. All right, so you get to hear the scriptures proclaimed, and that's tuning you into the biblical worldview. God willing, you have a, uh, a homily that helps you understand some lessons to live from this. But then it switches to the Eucharistic liturgy. And when we sing holy, 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 we are joining. We think that the angels and saints descend upon the church, obviously in invisible ways, and we are joining with their song. And we're not singing holy, holy, holy are we because we went to church. No, we're saying, holy, 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 Lord, God of hosts, you are the holiest. You are beautiful. You are goodness. You are love. You are truth itself. 
So we're orienting our life to God, and then we participate in the offering of Jesus to the Father. So when Jesus offers himself on the cross, this is my body given up for you, it's an act of love. Father, I'm doing your will, and we are united to Jesus, so we are now being oriented to the Father. And then when we come forward and receive the Blessed Sacraments, one of the many effects of the Eucharist is a removal of venial sins. You were impatient, you lost your temper, et cetera, et cetera, right? It's a removal, it's a, it's a purging of these sins. Something is accomplished in this. You might want to say it's a violinist adjusting one of the strings. Oh, I was out of tune. I didn't realize that. You adjust it a little bit. The Lord is adjusting you into communion with him and one another. And then we say, go forth, the mass is ended. Meaning, now go into the world playing the right note, the right song, so everyone else whose instruments are out of key, they can be drawn back in and be tuned in as well. So I think the gift of the Mass is it's where God breaks into creation and reorients, or in the medieval terms it was orders us, or reorders us, to his original plan so that we can witness that to other people and they can say, oh, I see in you what I've been looking for. Forgiveness, freedom, joy, peace, kindness. Where'd you, where did you learn all this? And say, come and see. And then other people can join and participate. I think that's the gift of the Mass in our lives. It's an orienting experience. The Mass is also not only an attunement, it's medicinal. It kind of shakes off and heals the dust of a world that's clinging to our egos and full of division. And so there's a real beauty even to the Mass as far as like healing us. And in that regard, I would argue every Mass is a healing Mass. You don't have to go searching for a healing Mass. Every Mass has a healing component. It, it was just really very clear to me this past year due to the pandemic and the crazy intense election season was like obviously the disunity in families and in our culture. And the beauty when you come on Sunday and you all are forced to sing the same song, to say the same creed, yeah. to have the same posture – and maybe in a very radical way more than ever, although it had to be a little adjusted this year, but to offer a sign of peace. I mean, just, just purely on a human level, where else in our culture are people coming to be in unison in that way? And yet, we have political debates that need to happen. We have moral and doctrinal teachings that need to be fleshed out and understood. But to, to give the benefit of the doubt that the Spirit can bring about unity— and where God wants that to happen is by worshiping him, not facing each other, but looking to him as a good father to provide the answers together. And we begin every mass, all of us saying, Lord, have mercy. So all of us saying, we ain't doing it perfectly. We need help. Is there one mass that you remember most from your pre-priest days as especially powerful or one that you remember most as a priest? I remember my very first mass really well because I cried pretty hard when I elevated the host the first time. Because in my mind, what I saw was countless number of angels. And I saw one right in front of the host, kind of uh, incensing the host. And I was very aware of, oh, yesterday, <laughs> yesterday morning was real. I was ordained. And now I'm offering and participating in heaven. And uh, 
it was a lot. And I, I vividly remember how I felt. I was overwhelmed and numb. It was just so visceral and real. And that mass really, really stuck out to me. The other mass that stuck out to me was after some of the scandals have broken out over the last five years in the church, having to preach. Uh, I remember having to get up and share and speak into what happened, why it happened, and who am I? Because as a priest, what was really scary for me was I'm now public. I'm very public and at mass, I'm public. And now I'm associated with all these uh, very, very publicly broken men. And so I'm kind of trying to figure out at that moment what to say. And I remember crying really hard. And I remember crying because I knew my sins. Now they weren't going to be on the evening news. It wasn't that kind of sin, but I knew my sins and my brokenness. And I just knew all the things I was doing in my life so that I could bless the church and not hurt her. And I remember apologizing to everyone. And I remember how beautiful that I had a mass of people at a mass <laughs> mm -hmm. to speak those words to. That, you know, if you don't have a mass, people aren't gathering, who, who would I speak these words to? Who would I let them know my heart, which I believe was really close to Christ at that time, apologizing? That what everyone calls the church, Holy Mother, she's your mother, she's my bride. And she was hurt. And I, I remember just apologizing. And having that whole Mass have a very quiet, somber prayer to it. As everyone received Eucharist. And at the end of the Mass, before I gave the final blessing, I just wanted to say, I will continue to do what I need to, to be an instrument of healing. And I remember people just applauded. They were very, very grateful. And those were two very moving Masses. But it was... Once again, mystical in one sense, the first one, and the second sense, very human. People gathered together who are broken yet called and on the journey. And we gathered together to pray and just kind of make sense of evil and pain. And it was, those were very, very beautiful times. And it's beautiful because in one moment, in one action, you are apologizing to the people, also your bride. Also, God, mm. like all at once. Yeah. You mentioned in there offering sacrifice, because there's a lot of reasons to go to Mass. And we go to Mass to worship God and to be made holy and to pray for other people and to hear the Word of God from the Bible. And we go to receive advice and instruction and insights. We go to receive the Blessed Sacrament. We go to repent for having messed up. And we go to let God love us and be just be loved on. We go to obey God. But one of the primary things we do at Mass is we offer sacrifice. One of the things common to all religions throughout the world, through all time, that, that they have in common, one of those things is offering sacrifice, which is nothing more than just offering something of value. And different religions through different cultures, through different times, have different things that they value. So it's animals. When that's pretty much all you've got, then what you offer to God is an animal or some crops or some money or some of your time or some of your praise and emotions and heart. When St. Paul in his letter to the Romans in chapter 12, he starts by saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So here in the New Testament, we're told our spiritual worship, like worshiping God in spirit and in truth, is presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. And that's how it can make sense when you pray that prayer. What is that prayer that you pray that we've heard it so many times, it may just fly by us. You start by saying, pray, brethren, pray, brothers and sisters. Oh, pray, my brothers, is that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. That just comes out right there and says, like, you're offering a sacrifice. We're offering sacrifice. We're doing this together. We're not just offering the son back to the father, though we are doing that. We're also saying, I'm part of this, offering part of myself. Yeah. And let me just add, the only reason you can offer anything to the father, to the real almighty God, is because of Jesus. And so the reason you can offer something and I can offer something is because of baptism and confirmation, we've already been joined to Christ. So my offering and yours is actually being united to the bread and wine on the altar. So all of it is going through the Holy Spirit and Jesus to the Father. And so he sees what we're offering. He sees it on Jesus, if you will. So imagine Jesus on the cross and he sees all the perfect love, perfect obedience, perfect trust in Christ's heart. He sees now what you're giving him infused with Christ's heart. And so with great joy, he says, there they are. Hi, Tommy. Hi, Cheryl. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Ryan. And he welcomes us in just like he welcomes Jesus' offering. It was pleasing to the Father. He welcomes it. And as we feel like we're, it's a big sacrifice we're letting go, spiritually, biblically, poetically, three days later, what lifts up in that same place of sacrifice is new life of freedom, power, joy, glory. And the more we make peace with that participation— Offering, receiving, offering, receiving. That's in God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all of eternity are giving and receiving one another. And so it's us becoming more and more like the Holy Trinity, and therefore more and more like we're created to be in his image and likeness. And so that act of sacrifice isn't because he's a bloodthirsty, needy God with a super ego complex. It's because it actually is the deepest fiber of existence. It's the God's way of being, self-giving love. And so we actually become more and more divine and actually more and more human by participating in that sacrifice. And the Holy Spirit makes natural things supernatural. Yeah. And so if you think you don't have much to offer God, like what can I offer God? What can I sacrifice? So first of all, you're giving an hour of your time. Also, if you're paying attention, then you're giving your mind and your affections and your heart. But whatever it is that you give, God takes those natural things and just like normal bread and normal wine, transforms them into something supernatural when we unite it with that gift. And, and let Father. me just add two things about that, about the mass then. Also, what you're offering is maybe the fact that you aren't beating your kids up in front of everyone. <laughs> like your kids are just like annoying you like crazy. All you want to do is have a very, you just need a spiritual moment, right? You just, I just need 20 minutes to listen to scripture. Just Can I just have two minutes at this mass to pay attention? Cheerios are everywhere. The fire truck's going into your thigh. And you're like, okay. What you've offered God is, I brought the son and daughter you entrusted me back to you. And we don't offer perfect worship at St. Basil's. No parish offers. You can go to an oratory and monasteries for those. We offer family worship at St. Basil's and it's loud and messy and sometimes chaotic, 
but it's beautiful because it's real. And that's what families have in them. Yeah. God created all of creation out of a mess. He was born into the mess of a stable. He died a bloody mess on the cross. And out of all of it, he brought the glory of resurrection. God is not embarrassed of our messes. We're the ones out of our pride. We think we need to look better. We just need to say, Lord, I give this to you. And that's why the bread and wine are meant to come forth from the people. Right now, it's obviously because of COVID, we have a little different, but it's meant to come forth from the people brought up by the people because all of it represents what you're offering. So when those people are, a family comes forward to bring the bread and wine up, they're bringing up the, the relationship, the place in your heart, whatever you are putting on the altar today, say, Lord, I'm entrusting this to you to take care of. I give it to you. That's in there. That's what they're bringing up. And then I bring that to the altar as the priest, the one who offers it to the Father. The altar is the place of sacrifice. We bring it to God. The Holy Spirit comes down and transforms it. And now we give you back Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords. He now touches you. He enters in. And you're more and more nourished with the plan that God has for you, your identity, all of those beautiful gifts is now being poured into you for your vocation to be stronger. And that's the dynamic, the sacrificing and the receiving. Yeah, it's tempting to try and be adults and think, <laughs> I mean, I've only got these five lousy loaves and I got these two kind of small fish, right. you know, but that little boy in the gospel story was probably like, check out what I've got. Like, look what I caught. I'm so proud of myself. Yeah. And it makes all the difference in Jesus's hands. You know, so those are some of the things that are going on at Mass. I kind of want to revisit, though, Tommy, the question of why go. And some of this helps, right? Because you know what's happening, so it's deeper reasons. I'd, I'd like to just kind of maybe give the analogy of uh, your body. You are a body. And so wherever your body is, that tends to be what's most important to you at that time. So, for example, try telling the girl that you're dating or wooing that you really care about her, but never driving to her place to see her or never taking her to a nice restaurant or spending physical time with her. That relationship will struggle immensely. Why? Because we're created bodies. Where we take our bodies, if you will, for lack of a better phrase, that has meaning. It affects us. It conveys things. Similarly. Look in the Gospels. If the wise men wanted to experience the newborn king of the Jews, they had to journey to Bethlehem. Right? If the rich young man wanted to know what did he have to do to inherit eternal life, he had to find where Jesus was and walk up to him. There's countless stories of men and women having to move their bodies to a particular location in order to encounter the transforming power of Jesus. And then so often what we hear is like, well, I just kind of worship from home. Yeah. And it's like, okay, now granted, but, COVID, TV, that's a whole different thing. I hope you guys all realize that's a different thing. We had the church was closed and then some of us, it was going to be dangerous health-wise. And so we offered a way to where you could be at home and participate. But you still were missing out. It was a, if you will, a consolation prize. It wasn't the winner's prize. The real goal is journeying making that sacrifice of getting in your car, getting to the parish, sitting in a pew, being around people who may not be as attentive as you are or kids behind you may be talking or whatever it may be. But you made that journey so that you could do what? Encounter Jesus. It's the biblical worldview. It's also the most human thing. 
We need to go to places in order to experience them. And sometimes we forget that when we say things like, well, I can just do it from home. Well, you can pray at home. There's no doubt about it. But the power and the dignity of divine worship, where God really truly dispenses graces and a river of sanctifying power to make you holy, that's done at a specific place at a specific time. And so we need to make sure we get there to receive it. This is what I tell high schoolers, Tommy, you used to be a youth minister. And I just say, I want you to think honestly and truly. If I said every Sunday, the 9 a.m. Mass, I'm going to give out a million dollars. How many people would come every Sunday to the 9 o'clock Mass? Mm-hmm. Countless. You will die and money will not help you for all of eternity. But what we're giving out actually will help you for all of eternity. St. Alphonsus Liguori, in one of his meditations, he says, you know the best word, the best single word you could ever meditate on? Chocolate. (laughs) And I was like, oh, this is going to be good. What's it going to be? Jesus. And he said, the best single word you could meditate upon is eternity. Hmm. Everything's wrapped up in that, and that puts everything else in perspective. So I just love what you said there about praying with your body. That's why our, the Mass itself is such an incarnational thing. Yeah. You know, just got to say, Romans 12, 1 again, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So when we come, we're presenting our bodies there, and we're kneeling, and we're bowing, and we're genuflecting, and we're standing, and all those have significance. And not just that, right? So that's the physical moving, but we're also tasting. We're hearing the word of God proclaimed. Right? Smelling. Smelling if there's incense. You know, like, so that, I mean, all of our senses are involved because remember, the God who created you also is the God we're worshiping. And so he never deletes his creation. He completes his creation. And so he's not redoing his human plan when he sends Jesus into the world, he's redeeming it. It was deemed very good in Genesis chapter 2. He's redeeming it into the very goodness through the sacrifice of Jesus. And so part of that means, oh, we're made as man and woman to see, hear, touch, taste, smell. That's how we enter into reality and engage the world. He honors that way of being human. And he, Taylor, makes himself to that. This is the amazing love of God is He's pure spirit, but he knows to capture our hearts and our bodies and our minds and our souls, he has to accommodate us. And so he pours himself into what looks like bread and wine, even though it's been transformed by the priest's prayers. He speaks his divine words through human stories, you know, in the biblical readings. He is present when we're gathered saying the creed, singing in the community. He gives his powers over to the ordained priest. I mean, it's really God's condescension is the word, where it's his bending down mm-hmm. out of love. To be with, yeah. Like when you have two girls, I mean, when they were really little, I mean, you would you would talk differently to them, right? You, it, was, it was this kind of talk that would be weird if you spoke to another grown man that way. Mm-hmm. But it's out of love. Love is the logic that makes someone big freely become small. God becomes accessible to us. Because he wants us to be healed, affirmed, and realize it's good to be a man or a woman and live according to God's plan. I don't have to be something else. This is the life-giving power. God, we have a God who loves to affirm his creation. And so it's beautiful.
Yeah, he speaks our language. Yeah. And the language is our five senses and our bodies. That's how he communicates so often with these these signs pointing. Well, all the sacraments are signs, and they are symbols, but not just symbols. They're more than symbols, but there is a symbolic element. And the sacrament par excellence is the Eucharist. And before you were here, Father Ryan, I spoke for 90 seconds to two and a half minutes before a bunch of Masses for a couple months. And it was like a series called The Meaning of the Mass. And the one that was the most memorable and the most scary and the most intimate was the one where I memorized a list of the names of the Blessed Sacrament. And people didn't know, like, where this was going until they're like, oh, I, whoa, like, what's happening here? Because it's, it's weird. Memorizing something nowadays is a sign that it really means something to you. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I don't even know people's phone numbers anymore. Yeah. How many thousands of years did humans survive just on what they had remembered? Right. But now we can just look things up so easily. So it was a strange moment of intimacy because everybody in the pews knew I memorized this for them because I, I, I wanted to give them a gift of this list. So anyways, I, uh, I wanted to share that real quick, if that's cool. Yeah, please. So I said this. I said, what do we receive at each Mass? We receive Holy Communion. You know, the Eucharist, the Blessed Sacrament, the Bread of Angels, the Bread of Life, the Bread from Heaven, the Breaking of the Bread, our Daily Bread, the Body, the Blood, the Soul and Divinity of Jesus Christ, Corpus Christi, the Courage of Martyrs, it's the Cup of Blessing, the Desire of the Everlasting Hills the divine victim, the flame of zeal, the food for the journey beyond death, the forgiveness of venial sins, the fruit of God's redemption, the fullness of virtue, the furnace of charity, the gift who is the giver, the glory of the priesthood, the heavenly banquet, the hidden manna, the holy sacrifice of the mass, the hope of the penitent, the invention of divine love, the Lamb of God, the living bread, the Lord's Supper, the medicine of immortality, the memorial of Jesus' suffering and death, the mystery of faith our feast, our guest, the perpetual sacrifice, the pledge of future glory, the precious blood, the price of our salvation, the real presence, the refuge of sinners, the refreshment of saints, the relief of the burdened, the river of mercy, the sacred species, the sacrament of initiation, the sacrament of love, the sacrament of all sacraments, the sacrifice of praise, the school of silence, the sign of the unity of the church, the spiritual antidote against the poison of sin, the source of all consolation, the source and summit of the Christian life, 
the strength of confessors, the supreme proof of the love of Jesus, the unblemished lamb, the unbloody sacrifice, the word made flesh, having within it all sweetness. You know, the Eucharist. That's what we receive. I loved putting that list together. I pulled it from a couple different litanies. It was really strange to, to just say that list because people were like, oh my gosh, like he's going and it's in alphabetical <laughs> order and he's not stopping. And this is a lot. Yeah, it's powerful. It really is powerful. All right. Finally, why is mass called mass? What does that mean, Father? Yeah, we get the word mass, not from like a mass gathering, but rather in Latin, the word means dismissal. And so in Latin, where we get the word where we get the word mass from comes from the Latin word, which means a dismissal, to be dismissed, which some theologians have said that means the whole point of the mass is to send you back into the world. Like that's where the whole identity is. Uh, you know, you're attuned to the divine way of sacrificing, receiving. You're nourished on the body of Christ. You're enlightened by hearing the scriptures. You've offered peace and healing. You've repented of your sins. Now you're ready to be sent back out into the world on fire to bring the love, the truth, the peace, the courage of Christ to stand up at home and workplace, school, whatever, to witness to mercy, to witness to justice, to pray with people. Uh, so that that's where the word mass comes from is it's wrapped up in the dismissal. And you may notice that uh, priests or deacons say different dismissals. There, there's a couple different ones, but uh, the four one, the four that are the main ones are go forth, the Mass is ended. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Or go in peace. Go, 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 go. Like the, It's funny. It's not like, like, now just linger for a while and just see if you want to head on out, you can. Just whatever you like. It, that's the, the church is very, very Roman in this regard. We give a command like a Roman soldier. Go. Like, this was great to see you. We love you a lot. You got everything you need now. Go. Get out there. Go for it. Uh, and I, I think I think we would probably do really well if we took a little bit of time to meditate uh, at the end of every Mass. I just was sent. Who do I feel the Lord is sending me to? Who do I feel like this week he's saying, go to that person. Now's the time. There is no other time. This is it. So that's where we get the word Mass from is the dismissal, the sending forth uh, into the world. Mass comes from Missa, which is the dismissal that gives us our mission. Yeah, that's that's awesome. The reason we go to Mass is to leave Mass. That's one of the reasons why yes. we go to Mass. <laughs> one of the reasons we go is to leave. Now, by the way, don't get so excited. Some of you, I think, are getting so excited you leave Mass early. You still got to wait for me to say go. So I think that's what's happening, Tommy, is so many people are excited to go out into the world that they're, they're forgetting the dismissal. I actually bless them so they can do this. So wait till the blessing because so many people are just so excited to go out, it seems like, that, mm -hmm. uh, which I'm glad to see. But we need to wait for the dismissal. Then you can go out. Because that final blessing does what? It actually isn't just like perfunctory. It actually does a – it performs something. It actually blesses you, meaning it gives you a uh, – uh, it, it conveys something upon you. So, Lord be with you, and with you. may Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Go forth. That final blessing, there is, there is goodness being poured upon you 
so that you can be directed in which direction to go. Well, it'd be remiss for us to not mention the word obligation, like Sunday obligation. So we're going to talk real quick about the Sunday obligation. But first, if this seems like just some rule, some random rule that this you know powerful church wants to oppress us with, I did a whole podcast. It's episode 62. And it's just called, Why Does the Church Have So Many Rules? It answers that general question. I'll add a, a direct link to that in the show notes. Let's just start with just like how obligation feels. Right? It feels so much like someone more powerful than me is limiting my freedom and forcing me to do something. Right? That's how it can feel. Right? And I think if we're honest about that, all right, we can actually have a better dialogue both with God and prayer and with people who can help us understand what it means. But I think we just need to get it out there that anytime you hear the word obligation, uh, it's like, it's like, oh, great. What do I got to do now? Uh, but if someone loves you, gives you an obligation, it means they're doing it because it will help you become who you were meant to be. It will bring you life. It will bring you goodness. It will bring you peace, healing, joy. It will move you into the direction of flourishing. That's the only reason you could be obliged to do it. If it didn't bear fruit in your life or it didn't please God, the church asking you to do this would be cruel. It would be painful and it would be egotistical. But because we call it Holy Mother Church, as a good mom, she wants her sons and daughters to be free, to be fully alive. And she knows that the person who ensures that is Jesus. That Jesus came to set us free. Free for what? To do whatever we want? Well, no. If we're honest, if we do whatever we want, we get in trouble. I would eat sleeves and sleeves of double-stuffed Oreo left to my own devices. All right? We need to know what is healthy, what is flourishing. Jesus came to show us that with him and the saints. And then part of that was there are certain things that need to be done to ensure this. One of the obligations are Sundays and holy days. This ensures that we are using our freedom in such a way that we will receive the blessings of Christ and become who we're meant to be. If a city loves its residents, it'll put guardrails up around the twisty roads next to ravines. (laughs) Yes. And if a city doesn't care about its citizens, then it won't put them up. But the God who loves us gives us these things for flourishing, right? Isn't it someplace in in Deuteronomy, maybe near the the giving of the Ten Commandments? It says, I give you these rules for life. Like, follow these and it will be for life, Mm -hmm. not for oppression and ruling over you. But it's like, if you want to flourish, then I'm telling you, don't murder, cheat, steal, and lie. Because your your life's not going to be that great. You know, I, I even think of like maybe a, maybe a, like a medical analogy. If you have a lifelong illness that they can't cure but they can help you so it doesn't cripple your life, it usually is a certain regimen you have to follow. And you take the medicines and you maybe there's a diet along with it and you check in with a physician on an occasion. It may be able to be monitored and to a great degree you will even forget that you even had that issue because your life is functioning just fine. But in order to have the life functioning just fine, quote unquote, you need to take the medicines. You are obliged to take this medicine. You are obliged to see the physician. You're obliged to eat a certain way. And it's because without those, you will slowly decay and break down. Similarly, on the level of, I want to say, our heart or soul, we can say that 
left to our own devices, we actually can't find fulfillment. We are too habituated towards self-indulgence. We get petty. Someone hurts our feelings. We want to get back at them. We want to be in control. We get power hungry, lustful, envious, you name it. And so we actually need help. We need someone to constantly say, this is good, this is evil, and this is who you are, and this is what you're called to be. And one of those sure things is the Sunday obligation. You gather, you're reminded that all of us are in this thing called humanity together. We all need God, and we all need this act of being oriented towards him through the song, the scriptures, the creed, angels and saints, and the Eucharist. And then we're called to send forth to others to say, hey, I know what you're suffering from. There's a remedy. Come follow me. Catechism paragraph 2181 says, The Sunday Eucharist is the foundation and confirmation of all Christian practice. For this reason, the faithful are obliged to participate in the Eucharist on days of obligation, unless excused for a serious reason. For example, illness, the care of infants, or dispensed by their own pastor. Those who deliberately fail in this obligation commit a grave sin. So I think it's worth noting there that it doesn't say serious illness. It just says serious reason, and that can include illness. Yeah. Can, I just want to take a minute to say a few things. I know some of you who listen, you were, you were raised and you heard about the Sunday obligation. You have to go to Mass on Sunday no matter what, or it's a mortal sin. And it was so simplistically taught to you at that point in your life for good reason. Maybe you were young and you just needed to be simple. But as you get older, you need to realize the church is reasonable and so is the Lord. And so if you have illness like COVID-19 or you're in charge of taking care of someone who has an illness, COVID-19, flu, really bad cold, someone who's elderly and they just didn't have a healthcare worker that day and you need to be there for them. These are justifiable reasons why you wouldn't be able to participate at Mass. The church understands this. You go to your car and it won't start. You do not have to come to confession and confess, I didn't make it to Mass last Sunday. You are freed from that sin because you didn't deliberately avoid Mass, but rather you realize, listen, there's some reasonable reasons why I didn't go. This is important because June 5th and 6th of this year, 2021, the bishops of Ohio have reinstated the Sunday obligation. So beginning that weekend, for maybe ever, <laughs> probably, is the obligation to attend Mass on Sunday. To deliberately and knowingly choose not to go, even though you could have gone, put yourself in grave sin. But to not go because you have illness, or you just know you are suffering from extreme fear still, maybe you just are really nervous about social settings after a whole year and just don't know what's out there yet. These are real issues, and the church understands. You do not have to confess that. But in your heart of hearts, you know if you could go and you choose not to go. And in that regard, if you did that, you fall in that category. We don't scold you. We don't say, don't touch us. <laughs> no, we say, hey, there's a confessional and it's the medicine of mercy. We want to absolve you, encourage you, and help you get back to the communal worship because God's dwelling is with the human race, not with an individual, but with the, all the people of God. And we imitate that at the Mass. That Sunday obligation is so misunderstood. It's there to, first off, get us to receive and participate in divine life and all the goodness that comes with that. But then sometimes, I mean, it sounds kind of cliche, but sometimes life happens, meaning 
sicknesses, people you're responsible for actually do need you. You're driving home planning to get to the 1130 mass on a Sunday morning and there's a huge traffic jam because of a car accident. You can't get there. What do you do in those times? You make an examination of conscience, just like you would on a Sunday morning anyways. You ask God for forgiveness. If you have a chance to read the scriptures on your own, read the scriptures, pray a little bit on your own that day and know that, Lord, I love you. I just couldn't get there today due to X, Y, and Z. And I look forward to the time when I can receive you again. Yeah, you substitute another spiritual practice. Yes. So the church says you don't have to go if you can't go. Mm -hmm. So if you're in the middle of the forest on a camping trip, you can't go. Now, there's another question. It's like, okay, well, maybe do I schedule a camping trip during the week so I can go to Mass on the weekend? Well, that's something. That's a good thought worth thinking. And by the way, when you do that, you give witness to family and friends. Hey, God is first in my life. And so we need to adjust this a little bit so that I can worship God and participate in the mass. You guys can come with me if you want. You know, that type of thing. It's a good witness. And with summertime and vacations coming up, it's fun to see new churches. And there's this thing called the internet. Is it, it, is it worldwide, the internet, Tommy? <laughs> it, it, it's like a web of information, all interconnected. Like a worldwide web. Well, okay, I can coin that. <laughs> uh, but masstimes.org or just searching in a, in, a, in a search engine, you can find a church pretty much wherever you are, with a time that will work. I think, oh, oh, what about mass on TV and live stream? So just so everyone knows, again, we are continuing live stream. That's not going away. 9 a.m. live stream here at St. Basil's will continue. Uh, Also, if you can't get to the church for Sunday obligation, one of the options is right now, live stream is really in vogue, if you will. Like everyone's doing live streams. Here at St. Basil's, we have one. But almost every parish is offering a live stream. That's a very good way to participate and make an act of spiritual communion if you can't make it here physically for good reasons. Now, But, it, but live stream mass doesn't fulfill the Sunday obligation. That was the next thing to say. All right. On the way out, lightning round. If people go to mass and they're like just having trouble, you know, paying attention, they want to, quote, get a lot out of it, even though, as we've said, Part of going to Mass is to give, not Mm -hmm. just receive. It's a back and forth there. But if your mind wanders at Mass, let's just go back and forth with some real quick practical tips for making Mass all that it can be. Yeah, uh, prepare. So before you come to Mass, read the Sunday readings at least once. So the first time you're hearing them isn't with someone who might be mumbling as a lector or someone who you don't like the way they read or you're you're distracted by an outfit or whatever. So that you kind of already know what the stories you're going to hear helps you tune in and go a little bit deeper. I just remembered we interviewed another priest of the diocese, Father Mike Dank, and the episode was 15 tips to get the most out of Mass. So I'll put that link also in the show notes here. Dress nice. Uh, that helps me. Mm-hmm. Sit up closer yeah. uh, or change your seat. If you normally are sitting in the same pew every time, change it up one week. Get a little bit closer. So you'll see new things. You'll hear everything a little differently. Uh, That would be part of it that can help. If the things around you are distracting to your eyes, close your eyes. (laughs) If your mind is wandering and it would help to use your eyes to focus on something, like what's happening or some pretty art in the church, then open your eyes. Last thing I'd say would be learn. Learn more Mm -hmm. about what's going on there. And then you'll be like, wow. Just like if you take somebody to an art museum and they don't know jack squat about art, they're going to go through there pretty quick and be like, oh, that one's cool. Oh, I kind of like that one. But if you have a tour guide who's there saying, this artist painted this, 
on his deathbed as a gift to his wife, you know, whatever. They just bring more life to it. In the same way, if you look out at the night sky on a dark night, and you can see all these stars out there. You can be like, wow, but you're not going to stare at the sky for more than five minutes because right. you don't know what you're looking at. Yeah. However, if you have someone who says a star over here in this constellation is going to be our new North Star in 100,000 years, and it's like it just makes the night sky come alive. Yeah. So there's a lot of tips out there and books and podcasts and all that sort of stuff to make the mass come more alive. When and you I, have a tour guide showing you what it's made of. Absolutely. And I would just say what you do, St. Charles Borromeo says, if you want a lot out of your prayer time, look at what you do immediately before and immediately after. So if your prayer time is full of distractions and kind of chaos and not really peaceful, he said, look what you were doing before and what you're planning, already planning to do after. And so if you know you've got something at 1015 and you come to the nine o'clock mass, you're going to be very, very restless and distracted. You want to make sure you get out enough time to get to the 1015 event. Also, if right before mass, what you were doing was, you know, blasting music or just chaotically running around or yelling and screaming, when you finally settle down in the pew, all of that's going to come back up on you and it's going to be loud in your inner world and your soul. And it's going to be, uh, and so what do you do before? What do you do? I'm not talking about becoming monks. Everyone's vocation at St. Basil's pretty much is not to be a monk, <laughs> right? Unless you're a young guy or girl and you're being called that, in which case, awesome. But most of us are called to uh, the lay vocation. Okay. We wake up, we're recollecting, we know where we're going today. We're preparing to encounter the living Jesus at mass. So we have that intentionality. That gets you to really participate well in the time you're there. Well, be sure to follow us on all our social media accounts and subscribe to this podcast if you're just listening on a web browser or something. Definitely subscribe so you can get notified of new episodes. And if you want your spiritual life to really take off, learn how to pray and do it every day. Pray some Catholic devotion that really speaks to you. Open up the Word, the Bible. Get to Mass every week and confession every month. And every year, do a retreat or pilgrimage, and you will not be the same. And for all those who are listening, and all those who are listening, family members and friends, through the intercession of St. Basil the Great, may God bless you all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go forth. The podcast has ended. (laughs) We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church, Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.